don't have to be incredible to be effective. And I think so many people, everyone's a creative being. We just forget that we are creative beings sometimes because we get wrapped up in that perfection or comparing ourselves. And I've never known anyone with a dragon. What does he look like? Just a plain ordinary dragon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Plain Ordinary Dragon. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. As you know, I consider time to be the most precious resource that any of us have, and the fact that you would take a few minutes of yours and spend it with us is humbling. We never take it for granted, and I, I just wanted to say thank you. Now, let's get into today's episode. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we're back on the interview train again. Uh, we were able to get some schedules worked out, and today we get to talk with Calliope Pettis. She's a uh, local artist here in uh, Alabama. Um, down by Montevello, a little bit south of Birmingham. She has a really unique perspective on the world. It's one I really enjoy because she's just full of joy and happiness. Every time you see her, she's smiling and, and kind of, you know, she's kind of got this bouncing sort of aura about her. And it's, it's a pleasure to spend time with her, to listen to her music, uh, and to listen to her story. And so without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Calliope Pettis. Where are you from originally? Panama City, Florida. Oh, you're a Florida girl. Yeah, I was born and raised there. Wow, I didn't know that. I'm from Gainesville originally. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm sitting on this gator towel. My dad would be very upset with oh me. Oh, no. I guess, are we Seminole fans? <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel pretty indifferent to college football. But I mean, hey, it, if it brings people together in some sort of way, I'm, I'm all for it for no. them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, uh, well, what was it like growing up in Panama City? Um. Well, honestly, I got I got all my partying out at a very young age, so that was pretty good. Uh, so by the time I got to school at Montevallo, I was able to take things seriously. How did you get to Montevallo? I, much like you felt about Alabama before you moved here, <laughs> <laughs> I had this type of disdain. I, uh, my high school choir teacher was an alumna of the University of Montevallo, and I heard all these wonderful things about it, and I was like, pfft. Alabama, everyone there's a redneck. There's no way I'm going to Alabama to become one of them. And all of a sudden, on our way up to Nashville, on choir tour my senior year, uh, we stopped through Montevallo, and we got to do a little clinic with the um, choir director there, Dr. Doyle. And then we got to take a tour of campus, and I was like, wow, like, this is actually no different than the panhandle of Florida <laughs> as far as the culture goes. And uh, I just fell in love with the campus, and all of a sudden it hit me. There's there's nowhere else I'd, I'd rather be. And um, everything kind of fell together like that. Uh, two weeks before I graduated high school, I'd seen the campus, decided I wanted to go there. My choir teacher from high school was able to pull some strings, get me into the music department. I wanted to study theater, but those strings couldn't be pulled because I didn't have those connections. But I, I finished my music degree, and I was really grateful that I had my start there. So was theater? So theater was your first love then? Yes, I grew up um, in community theater and doing improv troops and going to thespian festivals and uh, all that. I see. And so then, when you got to college, mm -hmm. how how was that experience? It. It was great. It was great being in a new place where I didn't know anybody and no one had any preconceived notions about who I was or what I did. My um, my father grew up in Panama City, so everyone in Panama City knew who I was because they either, you know, got a P 
piano lessons with my grandmother or we're friends with my father. And so getting to go to a new place and truly become my own person for the first time was really wonderful. And I still live in Montevallo. You enjoy the anonymity. Yeah. Now, so it sounds like you grew up in a fairly musical sort of household. I would say so, yeah. So your gram- your grandmother taught piano. Did she teach you? Did you? She did not, actually. I'm the only one of my father's daughters who did not take piano and Greek lessons with my grandmother, my, my yaya, Cleo. So some, some Greek background. Now, and your name's Calliope. Yes. Right? Uh, which uh, my wife and I were talking about this earlier, and she was like, man, that is such a great name. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That it, it it's, it's, was one of the first things I think that we talked about you is you explained to me how it's actually pronounced, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure people call you Calliope of frequently course. and so forth. But the, the, the pronunciation is really pretty awesome. And, and that comes from a, a Greek background, is that right? Yes. So how many brothers and sisters and whatnot do you have? All right. So I'm going to tell you the long version of this. Give it to me. All right. So my mom, we're going to start on the non-Greek side. Um, my mom had her first daughter when she was 17 and she had me when she was 39. That's a spread. Yeah. So my mom and my eldest sister were secretly pregnant at the same time. I have a nephew who's six weeks younger than I am. Nice. <laughs> um, and so with her first husband, she had two. And with her second husband, she had another. And then, while all that's happening, my dad, um, he was actually in the Moonies back in the back in the 70s. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. So he had um, three daughters with his, you know, his... Uh, assigned marriage, if that's if that's the right way to put it. It could be. It may be arranged. Arranged, yeah. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, Reverend Sun Young Moon paired people up. And so he had three daughters there. And my dad got out of the cult and went through a whole crazy adventure with my sister's mother. She tried to kidnap them when she found out my dad wanted to be removed from the cult. So he chased them around the country for three months. That's quite interesting. So anywho, my dad's eldest daughter was best friends with my mom's youngest daughter okay and they lived a couple blocks down the road so i always like to say um my mom was walking my sister Haley over to spend time with my sister mimi um and then when my sister Haley and mimi were having sleepovers apparently my parents were too <laughs> and uh <laughs> they uh made me <laughs> oh Wow, that is uh, that's quite the interesting <laughs> family tree. I'll have to give it to you. It's complicated. And then uh, the, my parents split up when I was four and married people who had already had children. Um, so my, my stepmom has two daughters and a son. My stepfather has a son and a daughter. So that brings in a grand total of six half-sisters, three stepsisters, and two stepbrothers. That's a lot to keep track of. It is. Birthdays alone. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really do birthdays, uh, not even my I, own. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, uh, I'm fascinated. What was the family dynamic like growing up? What was it? I mean, obviously it wasn't traditional. Yeah, uh, um, by no means. But, but what was it like? So my, obviously my mom's eldest daughters were old enough to be my mom. And so that, uh, I didn't really have a relationship with them until here recently. Um, you know, sister to sister type thing. My dad's daughters were, you know, still... You, 9, 10, 11 years older than me, um, but I've always grown up being a little closer to them because, you know, my dad raised them in the house that he grew up in, and they still live in, they're not 
technically living in it right now because after Hurricane Michael hit, they're undergoing a lot of reconstruction. But I think it's for the best. The house is over 100 years old. Anywho, back to the family dynamic. Um, I would spend every Wednesdays and every other weekend with my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived in, in the same neighborhood in Panama City. Um, so my dad lives right on the bay in St. Andrews. And my mom lives, you know, deeper into the n- lived deeper into the neighborhoods in St. Andrews. I remember it being very friendly. I feel very fortunate for being from a, I guess, a broken home, as they would say, it, or, or a patchwork family. Or a blended home of sorts, I guess. Blended uh, home, I mean, yeah. I had a good upbringing. My parents, they really got along. Well, in, in front of each other. Um, <laughs> so that was, you know, always nice. They could sit next to each other during my performances and, and things like that. How uh, long have you been performing? I mean, since, I guess, you could talk? Since I could talk, my mom always told me I would just sing all day long. She'd, you know, take me to, you know, feed us breakfast and drop all my sisters off at school and things like that. And I would go from singing about the um, the Cheerios in my bowl um, to the round fluffy clouds in the sky and how the milk in my cereal bowl is the same color as the clouds. That just nonsense, just improvisational wackiness all the time and. My mom said, of all the girls she raised, I was the biggest handful. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, why uh, is that? I was just everywhere. Mm. Um, I wanted, I got, I got to do a lot of things. I think, um, you know, my, my eldest sisters had, I guess, teen mom. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think their relationship with her is a bit more challenged than mine. I had a, a well-seasoned mother who could support a wild, creative child. And I was... Very lucky in that. How so? Uh, you got in. You got into Montevello, and mm-hmm. um, and you had a good experience there. What mm-hmm. uh, at Montevello? I guess I should ask. I'm curious about the the transition from theater into more music and and, yeah. and straight up, uh, because as a previous drama major myself, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's kind of a weird bug to be hit by and then to leave, which I've also basically done as well. So, yeah. um, I guess I'm just kind of curious how how your thought process went, but what solidified your direction really to, to go and, and do what you do these days? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, like, do you remember a moment where you're like, you know what, I, I think this, or is it just one of those things where you've just kind of been in the flow? I was in the flow and I, um, I've been a very good student my whole life. I've always known how to work hard. Um, not necessarily, for myself, but because someone told me to do something and I wanted their approval and I was going to get it. So I was going to bust my butt <laughs> to to make straight A's and to, to do this and that. And I found the that maybe the music department was, I don't want to say more rigorous by any means. It was just a lot of people who took themselves very seriously. Oh, and mm-hmm. so um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that and I enjoyed music theory because I've always loved math growing up. It was one of those things where there was a right answer. And I liked that. Um, I never really considered myself a writer or being good at English because I I always like failed my spelling tests. Mm-hmm. I was a bad speller, and I never enjoyed reading. But I'm very good at getting off track, going on tangents. That's great. Tangents See, are awesome. See, this is my, my creative mind going in like every single direction. Um, the question was school. 
well, loved it. J- just so you know, questions are, are, are really here <laughs> only so that we can find what track we want to run down. It, yeah. they, it's not really actually even about answering the questions. It's yeah. just so that we, uh, we can kind of go into somewhere uh, and help trigger memories and thought processes Mm -hmm. and and so forth so however you want to answer them is fine we'll circle back around if we feel like we really have to have something splendid (laughs) thank you (laughs) um yeah yeah school was school was good Uh, i enjoyed it i was challenged a lot and i was because i wanted to please people all the time um and then i had this realization actually very pivotal point in my life was my first trip to new orleans oh tell me about it um i was actually in the process of rehearsing for the magic flute at montevallo and i wasn't enjoying the rehearsal process by any means and and i always told myself even when i was a kid doing community theater it's like if i ever feel like ugh, i have to go to rehearsal it's not what i should be doing i think you should enjoy the process no matter what so i was starting to feel a little bit of resentment in this you know magic flute rehearsal um then i went to new orleans for my sister's bachelorette party and to see the street musicians and to see everyday people um getting together and not not judging each other not holding themselves to this high musical standard where there's a right and a wrong and just really enjoying themselves and seeing people of all ages and of all ethnicities and all walks of life getting together to make this music and then getting together to enjoy this music. It was like, this, this is what I'm meant to be doing. It's human and it's, it's simple and beauty is, is simple. I think, yeah. <laughs> it sounds to me like you're talking about connection. I found that the, the music I was pursuing at the time was, was very high-minded and exclusive, and I, I don't ever want creativity to feel like that. That's a great point. It, it really is. It, it's one of the interesting things, especially about now. I've never been down to New Orleans. I've read uh, a good bit. Uh, one, of my more men, one of my musical mentors, Steve Earle, mm. uh, he did a lot with the, um, I think it was an Amazon uh I could be wrong. It could be HBO. I can't remember. Uh, Treme, which mm-hmm. is a, a TV series about uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, and you know some of uh, some of the interesting things about how all of the kids in in those areas are brought up, going to schools where they teach music, and yeah. you know that that is not what happens in New Orleans is not by happenstance it's intentional it's intentional that they teach the kids from the time that they're little bitty Mm -hmm. you know how to play the horns and how to read the music and and do those kinds of things and that's why you get to see that magic there um and so so that was inspirational to you yeah you at at that point you're like i I think this is the kind of vibe i want to be a part of exactly exactly that's awesome and so uh, when you, when I guess when you finished that trip and came back, what changed? What did you do differently, or, or or was it just the vision of where you were going that was different? I think I I stopped being so obsessed with pleasing my teachers and doing what they wanted of me, and I really started searching for my own path. A friend gave me a mandolin, and I think the Moonlight on the Mountain days; those were the days when I was playing. I guess a lot of not a lot of mandolin I don't play mandolin like a real mandolin player does I kind of 
make shapes and and strum a consistent pattern and that's by god i uh, think you can play any instrument if you can play two chords and hold a steady rhythm that's that's my philosophy on it as far as music being shareable well i remember when we met at moonlight on the mountain uh it was the um the songwriter uh mm -hmm. get together well we had um i guess you know some mutual uh friends and whatnot and we all we ended up in the same songwriting um circle i guess it, mm -hmm. it was and i remember when you brought the the mandolin and and you were talking uh, to us i remember you saying well you know i've worked a lot on my voice and this this part of my my talent but i'm, I'm trying to work on these other other yeah. pieces too uh, and building skills mm -hmm. that's all it is and moonlight on the mountain used to have uh when of course and it's funny because we actually talked about moonlight on the mountain last night uh when we were talking with bob marston mm -hmm. as well moonlight on the mountain used to have a um weekly was it weekly or bi-weekly i can't remember they used to do the uh, open mics mm -hmm. and they would have this open mic uh get together and uh, everybody would play and somebody would win and you'd win a little bit of money and you'd be able to uh, be entered into a contest later uh and i didn't get to go to the one that you won but i remember tom paisley who's a mutual friend was uh telling me about the creative way that you had put that mandolin piece together uh, because you used a mandolin and a de uh, like a delay and a reverb to kind of actually i just had a ditto loop pedal okay i all that delay and reverb stuff that's like that's beyond my pay grade i don't <laughs> i barely understand how to use all of those effects but it was um the ditto looper has one button and one volume knob and it's like it's as easy as google it is like the most foolproof pedal for anyone who's not technologically savvy you can you can layer things you know say i have two layers i can take away that second layer and reduce it to just the one but then i can add it back and then i can add a third layer but then i can only take that third layer away i can't go any further back so you only with the ditto looper pedal you only have access to the most recent track you laid down if that makes any sense it does and the the thing that's really was unique about the way you did that was what it what it looked like you were doing on stage uh tom had recorded some of it for me so i got to see uh, <laughs> some of it uh but the, the thing that was that was most fun for me to watch was it looked like creativity and enjoyment uh and exploration on stage mm -hmm. like it, it was you know it wasn't uh like i'm not saying that you didn't prepare for it but the thing <laughs> was is that you know it was it was kind of a um kind of an improv sort of yeah. scenario on stage and that that's fun that was fun for me to watch in a musical set uh and especially in theater we do a lot of improv stuff but mm -hmm. you did, you know and i'm not saying there aren't um improv sessions in music but it, it was fun to kind of see what you did there and so you know when you say that you're not a you know a great mandolin player that may be true but the artistry that you use just with those those instruments and, and a delay pedal and you know your your process uh, it is um, very legitimate and, and um, wonderful to watch so you don't have to be incredible to be effective and I think so many people everyone's a creative being we just forget that we are creative beings sometimes because we get wrapped up in that perfection or comparing ourselves and we lose the eight-year-old. Yeah, we lose the eight-year-old. 
which is one of the things that I love about you and watching the art and your voice that you put in the world is uh, that you seem to connect with the child in, you know, in your history, your child. Uh, you, you seem to connect to that person really, really well uh, because a lot of your things are non-traditional. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, you know, that I've listened to you play is non-traditional. It's, it's, wonder, it's a breath of fresh air to listen to in a lot of ways because you are doing that, that work that is not done as much. You know, there's so much formulaic things that are done mm-hmm. in verse, especially... Chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and <laughs> yeah, maybe <but> an outro. <laughs> <laughs> but now that's not, but that's not, that's not you. You know, you are just, I'm going to do this creative stuff. This is the way I feel. I'm going to put it out there. And that's to be admired, in my opinion, for sure. Thank you. Um, so what are you doing these days? What am I doing these days? Um, <laughs> honestly, I feel like God or the universe or whatever you want to call it just keeps dropping these little breadcrumbs in front of me. And I just keep following those opportunities. And I, you know, I know what I love. I know what skills I'm working to develop. I know what my gifts are and how to maybe make all of that work together. I feel like I need to record an album. I've been in several recording studios and I've never really been happy with what what comes out of those because I love the live action type performance. And um, these days, anytime I play a gig, I try to leave um, at least, you know, a third of the time open for like audience participation and collaboration. I, um, I was given this awesome new loop pedal that has more than one channel and it has three channels and a bunch of other effects buttons that I don't know how to use yet. <laughs> um, but I like to pass the mic around and encourage other people to feel heard. And I don't think um, teaching is not a gift I've been given. It's a skill that I've been working very hard to develop. Really? Um, but I think I think it's important. Bec- if you really, truly love what you do, and it really, truly brings you life and light and joy, wouldn't you want to share it with other people? Wouldn't you want to enable others to create as well? So that's, I'm trying to make, I feel like my gift is as a performer. The one thing I've never questioned about myself is as a performer. Um, I don't always really feel like a musician or, or a musical theater character or this or that, but I know I'm meant to perform. And if I can perform and have fun and invite other people to do a little bit of the same, I feel like I'm satisfying that that need to um, share share joy. Um, you know, not just give a man a fish, teach him how to fish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How does that work? I mean, has that worked out well with the audience participation? That, the, because, the, you know, audience, uh, you have different types of audiences, oh, obviously, yeah. right? Um, but, but how has that experiment worked? It works. It works well. At first, it didn't work so well because mm-hmm. I was like, look, I'm up here flailing, doing funky dance moves and making crazy sounds. Like, don't you want to, like, shake your hips a little? It's going to be fine. And people were like, I don't like that. That's weird. So I started bringing Shel Silverstein poems or books of Shel Silverstein's. And um, I'd get them to collaborate by, hey, you, pick a page out of this book. Keep it simple for them. And I have this dice that has all the letters of the alphabet. I think it's from Scategories. Nice. <laughs> um, and so I will say, hey, can you come and roll this dice? And then I'll land on a, a letter and I say, okay, we'll pick pick that. And um, 
all of a sudden people start like, okay, well, this is easy. And then you, then you raise the stakes. And it's like, well, does anyone have a poem they would like to share? Does, does anyone have something they need to say? Does anyone have something they're feeling that, you know, has to be let out of them right now? And sometimes it's hard and people just want to get on the mic and say, la, la, la. And then other times people will get up there and they'll recite a sonnet they wrote last night or something. So it's, it's wild and free flowing and exciting and you never know what you're going to get. I also go and I lead educational workshops and with the kids who are like in the third or fourth grade or younger, they're the best at it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. They're free. They haven't, Mm -hmm. they, well, I shouldn't go off on soapboxes, but I mean, (laughs) well, I mean the kids at that point haven't really, you know, up until like, I think you're about eight years old or so, your brain's on a different wavelength yeah. than it is. I mean, and that's, that's, uh, I mean, that's been shown in study after study. It, it's not, you know, woo-woo stuff I'm making up here. No, absolutely. Right? The, the, but up until about eight years old, the kids are, are, are sponges and they don't have all of the, um, the knowledge base of the social box that we all, you know, get put in for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're free. They're free to create. They're creative geniuses. Yeah. Uh, I think I read an article, and I'm going to bird walk just a little because that's Please what do. I do. I love birds. <laughs> I love walking. There you go. <laughs> and the two of them together are even better. <laughs> birds and walking. Exactly. <laughs> this is what's going on in my head every time I'm on stage, too. I'm, anyways. Think, no, that, no, that's great. I mean... But yes, you, the bird walk. Go. The bird walk, yes. <laughs> so uh, I think I, re- I read an article a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, about uh, a study that NASA did with, mm-hmm. with children and how um, if they, if you, I think the title was something to the effect of if you want your kid to be a creative genius, don't send them to school. Amen. Because what they, what they found out was is that if, they, if the kids don't know that there's already an accepted solution, they are not bound by the thought process of this can or can't work. And mm-hmm. so they're able to find alternate ways to do things. And I'm not bashing the education system in any way, shape, or form here. I've got other forms to do that. <laughs> um, uh, being someone who's loved education their entire life. Like, I love the learning process, yeah. but I kind of... And I understand why we have the education system that we do. It was it was really started, you know, about 100, 150 years ago. And it was really because of the Industrial Revolution. And we needed kids to grow up to be, you know, people that can work in factories for eight hours exactly. doing rote things. And But that's changing. We're seeing a lot of that change now. So uh, I'm excited for where education is going these days, yeah. uh, you know, we homeschool both our kids. Um, and, you know, it's just a choice that we felt was right for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it, it's it's fun when when you get into a situation where we're, you're able to act like you were a kid and everything's possible again. Yeah, I've done some Facebook stalking of you in the past. Perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you've done some stuff with, uh, um, like, did you start out like a meditation retreat at some point or? Um. <laughs> did i start a meditation retreat well I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but um, it was it was like a mindfulness thing it was like maybe you and another person had yeah. put together and I, can, can you tell me a little about absolutely. that absolutely that's how i got into the the whole educational thing um i had a a boyfriend at the time or an ubo rather i don't know an if you've ubo, yeah. heard the song ubo but i, I, have. <laughs> I had an ubo who was really into um yoga he was getting his yoga teacher certification and you know i was doing my voice stuff um in school still 
So he had a friend who went to school with him at Montevallo, and she was a kindergarten, maybe a kindergarten teacher, maybe first, third grade, something like that. Um, but she came to an open mic night at Eclipse, which was a little coffee shop, bookstore, show venue in Montevallo. We, mm-hmm. we miss it dearly. It's a dear part of our community. But anywho, uh, she came to an open mic night, and she saw us take a Shel Silverstein poem once again. And improvise it along to um, some guitar that he'd been playing. And she was like, hey, my kids at school are um, learning about poetry. Do you guys want to come and, and, you know, teach them something from a creative person's perspective? And we're like, we hadn't really thought of it before, but sure, let's do it. So we went and did this just one-off thing, December 2015, something like that. And then he was like, hey, well, the breath connects yoga and the breath is also very important in singing. And so let's develop this program and do this thing. And so we developed a, a thing for a little while that we did for about a year and a half or two called Breathe Children Breathe. And um, once again, being the, the people pleaser that I am, it eventually got to the point where he was just telling me what to do. <laughs> and I was like, I had all these great ideas. But I was like, I'm not going to fight with you. It's not worth it. I'll just do what you're telling me to do because you obviously have the master plan. <laughs> and so, um, that, you know, that's that's where my educational endeavors and workshops and things like that started. Now he's leading, I think, like bilingual story time in yoga, which is great. So mm-hmm. he's, still, he's still doing it. And I'm going in and leading uh, voice workshops and songwriting workshops in schools. And that's been really rewarding. And uh, I just finished my first artist in residency up in Bridgeport, yeah, Alabama. Yeah, tell me about that. Tell, tell me, I, because uh, yeah. I, I didn't know much about it other, un, until uh, you had said something about it, you know, in social media and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Uh, and I'm sure most of the listeners haven't. So tell us, tell us what that is. Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so every, I guess, Alabama State Council on the Arts has all this funding um, to sponsor, I guess, musicians or dancers or, you know, any, any type of creative person to go into these schools that don't have music or art. And so I was up there at a, a Title I school where these kids had never had art or music before. And it was exhilarating. It, it was wonderful because those are the kids who need it. Um, I also teach private lessons, which is wonderful because when you're one-on-one with a kid, you really get to to follow their wacky creativity where it goes and, you know, inform them with with whatever bits and pieces of knowledge you have to make you feel like you're actually teaching them something. (laughs) But um, some of those kids, you know, their parents can afford to send them to music lessons, which is great. They still, they still need it. It's still important to them. But these kids up in rural Alabama are the kids who need it. They're hungry for it. They'd never been exposed to it before. Um, so whenever I had gotten up there, we had a meeting with the second and fourth grade teachers and the woman who's in charge of handing these grants out. And so she was like, okay, these are the learning standards in second and fourth grade. So whatever you do with music needs to reinforce some of these things and some of our programs in the past that have been the most successful tied in some local history. So Bridgeport, Alabama has um, known for two things, um, the the Confederate, uh, one of the big Confederate battles, and the Trail of Tears. And so they have this big Trail of Tears festival every year, and these kids think the Trail of Tears is about 
country bands and motorcycle riders and bouncy houses and funnel cakes. And so... Because the festival is what... Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So um, I got up there and um, I was there for five weeks and we started, you know, with the voice, teaching them what I, what I know about the voice and what I'm still learning about the voice. Then we wrote a class song, uh, or ra- rather small group songs. Um, and then the last three weeks were focused on helping them write a song from the perspective of someone who walked the Trail of Tears. And so those were reinforcing um, history learning standards and some English learning standards, uh, writing, things like that. And so it didn't all go according to plan, but by the end of it, we did have a performance and uh, about four or five kids from each of the fourth grade classes um, stood up and presented their personal narratives from the things they'd worked on. Yes. (laughs) From some of the stuff that they'd worked on in class, I guess. Yes. And And, uh, the second grade teachers they decided they're like this trail of tears thing is a bit too deep for the second graders (laughs) so we just wrote poems and talked about rhyme scheme and then we talked about setting the rhythm and the rhyme to a melody line and and things like that and so the second graders performed that how did the how did the kids take that process like did they love that 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 journey that you took them on did they did some of them say hey I, I never knew this before I've learned this I mean what what yeah. were some of, what were some of the what was some of the feedback I guess that you may have gotten from that at least from the kids that's that yeah. was what I'm more interested in than the um because I'm more interested in the kids too <laughs> um because they have the most wild imaginations but at fourth grade they're just learning how to like tame their wild imaginations so it was really hard at first when we started writing from the perspective of someone else I'd never realized they'd never done that before and also they're like oh there's you know there has to be a right or a wrong answer I'm like no there's not and so I had to do a lot of learning once again the skills I'm developing teaching is one of them I'm not a very good teacher because I recorded a lot of the sessions I led with them each day and listen back to them I'm like wow no wonder I confused them I confused myself (laughs) Um, but anywho just figuring out how to break it down into simple worksheets because they're used to filling out paperwork and you know right or wrong answers Um, breaking it down for them to make it more simple was good some of them were terrified they're like we're gonna perform this in front of the whole school and I'm like all right how about this? We'll do a pre-show ritual where we breathe in the good stuff and breathe out the bad stuff and breathe in the art that we created together and breathe out the fact that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks, you know? Someone is going to connect with what you have to share because when you stand up on that stage, it's not about you anymore. It's about honoring this art and honoring these people who lived on this land, you know, nearly 200 years ago. And so... I think slowly, slowly they started to to get it. And um, it was exciting being on that journey with them. And I I look forward and and hope for another opportunity to do another one of these artists in residencies because I I know I can do a lot better than I did the first time. But they were so patient with me and being honest with them, like, hey, you guys, I'm learning too, believe it or not. And I had to apologize to some kids sometimes because – you know, I might say something and then do something else. And I think 
just having an adult who was willing to admit that they were wrong in their presence, I think that really excited them. And um, when we had the assembly at the end, by this point, um, my residency was technically supposed to be just with the second and fourth grade students. The second grade teachers weren't willing to commit 45 minutes every day to music. Um, And so we just met twice a week for... 30 minutes or so so with all that extra time I had I got to visit every single classroom in the school which was really nice I'm glad that it worked out that way Um, and so by the time the last big performance came and all you know 100 or 200 kids however many there were by the time they were all in the auditorium the teachers were like we've never seen them all together that quiet before Um, and so they I think they um they really responded to the work we did together and I think they found their own creativity and after we talked about the well-rounded voice with all the forward sounds in the back sound, the high sound, the low sounds, they were like, well, what about this character voice? And so we'd pick things apart and um, just, I would, I was following them as much as they were following me. So it was a wild, crazy, creative experience and I think I'm just as excited as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak from their perspective. I did little interviews with them at the end of each week. So um, I'm in the process of listening back to those and compiling them in a way that I have, you know, like a, a five episode podcast or a, or go. just like a little time capsule that marks this great experience of being able to share something with someone who otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to create. So. That's wonderful. I mean, that that's... That I was mean. a big roundabout way of answering your question. <laughs> I was so excited to answer it, and I also knew I couldn't speak from the perspective of the children directly, so I did well, my I was best. just curious, you know, some, uh, you know as, as I go through life, there are lots of these interesting paradigm shifts and thought mm-hmm. processes that you stumble across and go, oh, I've never thought about that before. Like, I've, uh, like when you were talking about the Trail of Tears Festival... Mm-hmm. It it was an epif uh, an epiphany moment mm-hmm. for me because I'm like oh I can see how by making a festival out of this you would not necessarily um, associate the atrocities of the Trail of Tears with with this festival and so that I mean that just for me that was kind of a mind opening moment right so that that was what I was uh, curious about was you know if any of the kids had expressed you know something along those lines uh, but it sounds like from from what you're talking you know they're all quiet they're all listening you know and so forth that they were very into that process yeah now and, and you do a lot of original stuff I mean I do you're, you're original is probably one of the best ways to describe your music from my perspective because it is it's very very original when you go when you sit down to write what is your process like? That's probably better. What is my process like? Um, I I haven't written in a while, to be honest. I um, do a lot of improvisation. And in the past, my songs have, the best ones have been written in the shower. Or something will pop into my head and it's like a gift from the creative gods. And it's just like maybe a piece of a verse or a piece of a chorus. And I it keeps getting stuck in my head and popping back up. And I'm like, you know that's a sign that I need to develop that. Th- those are usually the best songs. And I I don't think, you know, you should create only when you want to create. I think creativity has a lot of discipline to it as well. Um, and so I've written a lot of bad songs just 
trying to be disciplined. <laughs> um, and not that they're bad because I think a piece of art is good if it is necessary and it was necessary for me to express those feelings through whatever song now exists that'll probably never get recorded and the song where people start talking when I play them in live shows like that's how I know like I probably won't record this one or <laughs> or put it up but um my process I guess is taking those nuggets that keep getting repeated in my head and working to develop them my other favorite way to write a song is to straight up improvise. I'll hit record on my phone or I have a little Zoom mic also and um, just play or sing something. I've never never sung or played before and sing along to it. And I got that idea actually from this gentleman. It was my final semester at Montevallo and there was this gentleman, Amit Weimer, traveling from Israel. And he was a composer and he played his pieces and then talked in between each piece and at the end I was like I love your creativity he grew up in um, Jerusalem and so he you know Jerusalem is a holy mecca for so many different religious people and so he grew up seeing this singular place from a million different angles and he felt like that all influenced him to create and so he was like don't ever create and think that it has to be a certain way he's like whatever comes to existence through you through your being is a culmination of all of these perspectives that you have and don't shut them out thinking that you have to be a certain way just just create and what's meant to come out will come out so he said the way he composes is that he'll go and do this improvisational thing he'll set a recorder and i'll set a timer for 30 minutes and he will not stop playing for 30 minutes. And he said, he's like, something magical always happens around 17 minutes. And I think that's true. A lot of my songs have come out of improvisations. And part of my, I guess, discipline is not only making those recordings, but listening back to them. And I try to do that, you know, th three or four times a week. But in reality, I probably only do it once or twice. Because <laughs> listening back is the hard part. Because sometimes it's painful. It's like, ooh, I was improvising, obviously, because that was bad. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to hear, so it came out like, ah, or something. <laughs> well, I think if you if you take a look at uh, artists, especially, well, and it, it, it's true across the board. Uh, from my perspective, it's true across the board. But uh, especially if we're going to talk about uh, musicians, uh, they have... Artists have a huge amount of work that they do and a very small amount of work that they release. Yes. And because it's part of the process is doing things messy until mm -hmm. you can do things well. Yeah. Um, there was a story I heard about, um, oh, who is the, who is the artist that has the, um, like the, the Campbell's soup in different colors and man. Andy Warhol yes mm -hmm. Andy Warhol thank you um I heard a story about once he had you know achieved his status and was going through things he would you know paint and, and work on his stuff mm -hmm. and uh then the people that worked at his company mm -hmm. uh, if it wasn't deemed one of the ones to go out mm -hmm. uh it was to be burned and they, they took that and, and put them in dumpsters and then burned them all. No. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that was interesting was the, and, and I'm totally paraphrasing the story. I, I don't know <laughs> what podcast I heard it on, but it was <laughs> on a podcast. I think it was probably on Kathy Heller's Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast, probably. And, and the thing that was interesting about that was that there were thousands of them mm -hmm. that 
you know, and if anybody didn't do it, like tried to save one, they were fired. Like yeah. that, at least that's the way I remember the story. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Andy Warhol, you know, one of one, considered one of the greats, yeah, right? Of course. Uh, same thing. Yeah. All of this. Bob Dylan is uh, one of my favorite. Uh, yes. One of my favorite artists. And you can go find books of his. Uh, that they just put out because they found this material yeah. uh, of lyrics and, and, and partially written songs and things that he's you know never finished or full songs that he's never put out yeah. because it's just the work. Uh, I mean, if you listen to, to Dylan's bootleg series, you will see that he has multiple versions of classic songs. Yeah. Like Simple Twist of Fate has completely different lyrics in, in some of his versions. Like he's written that song multiple mm-hmm. times multiple different ways uh and in some of the bootleg stuff i like better than what was actually put out yeah uh but even even the greatest singer songwriter of pretty unquestionably of all time Mm -hmm. had that same thing you got to do messy stuff until you get to what you're what you're meant to make yeah one of the things i would tell the kids i'm like look we are just brainstorming right now like all of these things that you're judging as as good or bad ideas aren't actually good or bad ideas you got to get three or four pages of stuff down and then you treat it like a sculpture you know you chisel away here and rework this thing here and shape it in this way and it's it's okay to be messy we have to learn how to celebrate the mess oh absolutely the the bigger the mess the more the fun (laughs) (laughs) well especially if you're three or four or five six years old i mean you know that was Mm -hmm. that was the fun time i mean when was it more fun than finger painting the discipline is cleaning up So what's uh so what's what's next for you? What what are you, what are you what projects are you working on now? What do you got going on? I want to record this album. I want to record this album because I feel like it is a culmination of my time at Montevallo. And then I want to move away from Montevallo. Uh-huh. Um I want to write a one woman show because my love of of theater and the one thing I've never questioned about myself being a performer is is so strong and I I want to tell a story. I don't I don't really feel like I fit in with the singer-songwriters these days, and I don't really feel like I fit in with the musical theater people. I'm somewhere in between. And I think the hardest part for me right now in recording this album and then moving on to the next project is the fact that I need to learn how to ask for help. Even though I'm like a one-woman show with my loop pedal and this, this theatrical thing I'd like to create with all these characters, I need to learn how to ask for help from people that are going to tell me the truth. So I've got, you know, thick enough skin. Uh, I may be a people pleaser, but I'm not used to people pleasing me. So I'm, I want, I'm hungry for that feedback and I'm learning how to ask for help polishing these, these things up. And, you know, nothing, one thing I learned from theater and choir is that nothing worth doing is done alone. It's hard to trust other people, but it's humbling and it's incredible and it's important because that's all we have is each other really at the end of the day your your human relationships and and whatever knowledge you've you've gained from whatever education you have and I'm not talking about formal education I think you know people ask me oh are you a student is that why you live in Montevallo and I said no I'm a student of life like I'm always learning I think every single human being on this planet has wisdom from the experiences they've they've gone through uh you know children elderly you know, no matter what, I think everyone's wise and 
I this is why I love plain ordinary dragons is because you sit here and you have these conversations with people that I crave. I want to have conversations like this every time I interact with someone. People are so sheltered and they don't want to ask for help and they don't want to ask to feel heard. And that's that breaks my heart. Uh, Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> I mean, that and you're doing something about it, and I'm so grateful to know you. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, the thing is, is that I feel like we miss people on a daily basis. Like I, I, f I, I know that when I sit down across the table with anyone, and it doesn't really matter whether what the situation is, at some point, if I'm there with them long enough. What will always happen is barriers will break down and then we'll be able to have conversations. Uh, it's happened to me my entire life with all of my relationships. Uh, it's been a challenge in my romantic relationships because we're able to establish a rapport so quickly and so deep that it can be challenging and scary and invulnerable. And there's a lot of, just a lot of challenges in, in that, you know, I mean, there's that whole, don't tell them that you love them too quickly. They'll run away, <laughs> you know, kind of scenario. Yeah. Well, people don't realize that vulnerability is a strength. Have you, um, have you read any of Brene Brown stuff? I love Brene Brown. I, I'm a horrible reader. I've listened to lots of her Ted talks. <laughs> You're a horrible reader. Yeah. Uh, I need to ask you this because this has been a recurring thing. Everyone's dyslexic. <laughs> yes. You've noticed that. Yeah. Has that been something that, that you've been? Yeah, definitely. And my dad would spoonerize words just for fun as a kid. And I think that that maybe <laughs> connected some things weird in my brain. Interesting. Wow. I mean, because there's a lot of people that, that, that we have talked with on the podcast. Well, it makes us feel stupid when we're growing up. And that's so unfortunate. Like, you know. Our, our teachers would always tell us like, oh, this assignment will take you 10 minutes when you get home. And it would take me an hour and a half because I would read and reread the same like paragraph. Like I'm just reading words if I'm even reading the right words. But what do they mean? <laughs> That's why I like poems, though, because you're allowed to overthink poetry because it's in stanzas and it's it's simple. And there's only a couple words on each line. <laughs> nice. Do you have uh, any favorite poetry? I love Mary Oliver. She writes some really beautiful things about the natural world. And for my senior recital at Montevallo, I um, found Lori Leitman, who's a composer. I found some of her compositions that she set to Mary Oliver poems. So just celebration of the, the natural world and the beauty and simplicity that there is when you just open your eyes and look at a blade of grass or a petal of a flower. I, um, I have a... Uh an acquaintance, a friend, uh, up uh, Caroline Randall Williams, who writes phenomenal poetry. Uh, she's a very uh, strong uh, black woman who mm -hmm. has spent time teaching in Mississippi, and she's been a professor. She's been a talking head. But every time I listen to her poetry, it moves me to tears. Yeah. Just phenomenal. Uh, poetry is not a medium that reson that generally resonates with me. Mm -hmm. It's not one that uh, is easy for me to uh pull apart uh, in a lot of ways but the beautiful thing is is when you find pieces that resonate with you and, and touch you in a certain way it's uh it's a special moment a special experience for sure well where can people find you or do you want people to find you yeah like, i mean uh, look for me i'm trying to i'm trying to make it not about me um <laughs> i guess that's every truly creative person's goal is like it's not about me it's about inspiring other people to look deeper in themselves um 
but yeah, Calliope Pettis on everything. On everything. Are you, <laughs> on, are you do uh, all the social stuff? Do you do Instagram, Instagram and Twitter and all that? Or? Facebook. I have a dot com. Um, C-A-L-L-I-O-P-E. P-E-T-T-I-S dot com. We'll link it in the um, show notes. Wonderful. Yeah. For I, uh, sure. I struggle with social media. Do you? Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I do. Why? Because it's, I don't want it to be a, hey, look at me thing. I want, I want to figure out how to do social media in such a way that I am working on myself and my craft and building my skills. And then from that, there's a little byproduct of, or a picture or something that is postable and shareable. I'm trying to use it as a, as an accountability partner that says, hey, I did work on my craft today. Not, hey, my life is awesome. Don't you wish you were me? <laughs> <laughs> So you're not trying to be an influencer necessarily, but you are trying to share <laughs> <No>. your voice. <laughs> well, and I would, I would hearken back to what you said earlier. Uh, you remember when, when, uh, when we were sitting here and you said, well, if there was something you know, that was really great, wouldn't you want to share it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you should view your social media because the creativity and the things that you're working on they're self-serving to a degree, obviously, because, you know, they inspire us and, and, you know, they, they give us our get up and go and so forth. But the beautiful thing is, is you never know who you're going to inspire by sharing those particular pieces with other people. So, and you get email after email reminding you of that. (laughs) Sometimes you do. yeah, Yeah. Um, for sure. So I would just encourage you to remember that, you know, what you're sharing with the world is your voice and it's important because you never know who you're going to touch. I I can tell you that since I started doing the podcast, uh, there've been people that I've interviewed and other people that have contacted me Mm -hmm. and, and said, you know, this, this really helped me understand that I can do more that, you know, I have, it's given me some confidence to do these kinds of things. And, you know, that has been all the reward, Mm -hmm. you know, necessary for, for what we're doing from my perspective, some mindset, because you have wonderful gifts to share and that's all you're really doing. Yeah. You're finding the audience, the people that resonate with you. Sharing shamelessly. Yeah. I think it's, you know, that's a a great thing to do. Now what, what it technically, uh, now you have a high register. Is that right? I mean, you are, you are, you're like a, what, what, how, how would we classify (laughs) your voice? How would we class? Well, my teacher in school said my voice was made from Mozart, (laughs) um, which, (laughs) um, she said it just like that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, uh, on a, on a good day, I guess I could hit, um, an A flat six. Uh, which is, I guess, uh, uh, are you like a soprano? Yes, okay. a soprano. A soprano, yeah. A, a coloratura <laughs> soprano, if you, if you, if you will. Uh, have you ever done any <laughs> opera? Are you, or, um, or do you like opera? Is that? I think it's incredible. I love and appreciate the training I got because I can do all these wacky things with my voice and and know that I'm keeping it healthy. I sang some arias in school and for my. Um, for my senior recital and for competitions and things like that. It's incredible how this teeny tiny instrument, when used in the classical sense, can power over a 60, 70, 80 piece orchestra. I think it's amazing, but it's not necessarily the path I, I've chosen to go down. And who knows, you know, all, all of the paths in life, in life wind they do here and there and and i'm like i said just following the breadcrumbs that the universe drops for me and i'm i've been happy with it 
Well, I appreciate you coming and spending time with us today and, 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 and you know, telling us about your journey and, and so forth. Is there anything that you would like to tell folks out there? Any, anything? It just kept coming to my brain earlier when you asked about, did I take lessons with my grandmother, Cleo? Um, so I was the only one of my siblings, my, my father's daughters, who wasn't forced to take those music lessons. But I got to go to all of the operas and all of the symphony orchestra concerts and plays that would travel through town with her. And that's something I really, I really cherish. And every time I perform, I know she's smiling down on me. I just hope that I, that I honor the family tradition. And, um, yeah, that's, that's really what I wanted to say. Well, I, I'm sure you do. I have no doubt. Well, thank you again. Hopefully we'll have you back and we'll talk again sometime. Thank you. Well, what did you think about that? It wasn't all hype, was it? You can just hear the joy in her voice. Uh, she's always smiling and, and happy, and, and it's just a joy to be around her. And I, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed uh, sitting there and, and, and taking it and, and speaking with her and getting this, this episode ready for you. Uh, I wanted to touch on just a couple things. Um, we really didn't talk a lot about setbacks and challenges in, in, in Calliope's journey. They were still there. Uh, you, you just... We didn't highlight them, but you can listen and you can hear it. You can hear those different pieces where she's been challenged before and had to respond. For instance, if we take a look at, you know, when she was talking about making messy things and trying to get to that, those messy things that you make, they are part of that journey to get to the truest expression of yourself that you're trying to to emote the, the, the piece of you that you want to share with the world in the best possible way, in your way, in your voice, you can only get there by trial and error. You can only get there by learning what you can and working on your craft and, and honing whatever it is. And, and of, of course, it's, this doesn't just pertain to music. It pertains to all of the different things that you might attempt in life. But the thing is, is that, you know, like, like she said in this, in this podcast, there are these little breadcrumbs or clues that the universe leaves for her or leaves for all of us, really. Uh, I think even if we listen to someone like Mar uh, Marie Forleo, who says, you know, success leaves clues, right? Same kind of idea. The, the thing that you're trying to make, your signature song, your, your iconic painting, your amazing computer code, whatever the piece may be, the thing that you're trying to get to and express is the, what, what I like to call the truest expression of you. You can't get to that, that particular moment without going through all of the others. It's like you can't see that beautiful view from the top of the mountain until you climb it. And the climbing of it, you have to learn how to enjoy. You have to learn to enjoy the hiking of it and so forth, not just the view at the top. You know, the view at the top may be what you're, what you're striving for and what you really are, are trying to see, but you can't get there without the work it takes to get to the top of that mountain. And so th those are, you can, you can listen to her story and, and hear her talk about those kinds of things, uh, like the, the needing to put herself out there and, and ask for help and, and, you know, to create her album and so forth. Um, make sure you go out and check, uh, in, if you're local here in, in Birmingham, Alabama, make sure you check out any of her shows. Uh, we're, we linked to her, her website. And, um, instead of doing my, my normal send off, uh, Calliope actually asked to do something kind of special for you guys. So let's just see. Um, can we, can we say one more thing together? Of course. Sure. I, uh, every time I'm driving and I'm listening to it, it's like, you may be plain, you may be ordinary, 
but you're a dragon. I love the way you say that. Yeah. <laughs> if, can we, would it be appropriate to ask if we can say that together on the end of this episode? Or? Sure, sure. Okay. Absolutely. Um, uh, okay. Well, you may be plain, plain and you may, you may be, be ordinary, ordinary, but, but you're you a dragon. dragon. <laughs> and it's so.